stand up, like take the profession back. And by the way, I mean, you know, you don't have to have uh, stripes or bars or, or anything to take the profession back. If you're an informal leader within your group, be a fucking informal leader within your group. And if, you know, if you see the profession circling the drain, don't watch it circle the drain. If you want to stick around, say something, do something. I mean, like make a difference, get educated, you know, know your limits and, and have these little conversations with the young people or the new people it's your responsibility to kind of pass this shit on. Hey, guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now, $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference, click the link, register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and today we have Andrew Baxter. Andrew will give you a little context of who he is and what he's done. Appreciate you being here, my brother. I know you reached out and we got together and did some shit like this. Let's rock and roll. What's up, Andrew? Well, hello, Dennis. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do this. As you said, I'm Andrew Baxter. I go by Drew Breezy on social media. And uh, I currently, uh, I, I'm on the Failure to Stop podcast network. I, there are two shows that I'm involved in. One of them is the Friday Breakdowns, where we just do, you know, common police-related breakdowns with a little flair of comedy here and there. And uh, I started a show in January called The Comm Center. And that's uh, kind of what brought us together, I think, uh, conversation-wise. Um, the Comm Center is... Uh, it's kind of like a tip of the hat to the dispatchers. I'm trying to get the dispatchers involved and engaged in the process and trying to kind of clear up the chasm between first responder, dispatcher, and the civilians that, you know, want to know the truth of what goes behind, uh, what goes on behind the curtain. Why appealing to the dispatcher community? What was that was thought behind that? Well, I started uh, in law enforcement. I, I worked here in Florida. Uh, I started in law enforcement in 1992 I got my foot in the door as a dispatcher. I was I was actually convinced by my recruiter that, hey, man, uh, you know, there's not another law enforcement class starting anytime soon. So maybe you just want to get your foot in the door as a dispatcher. And it, it was kind of an ode to my dad. I mean, we used to sit on the porch listening to the scanner all the time. And I was like, all right, I'll bite. I mean, you know, I, I can learn how to be a cop up there. And, and you know, I, I knew what my end goal was. So. Uh, sure enough, I started working up there as a dispatcher. I worked up there for two and a half years before I eventually made it onto the road as a cop. And then I had a great, like a robust career. Uh, uh, I mean, let's be frank, I had a fucking roller coaster of a career, but I mean, I had a robust career in law enforcement. And uh, right around my 25th year, uh, I got called the, by the sheriff of my county and he said, Hey, man, I want you to go run the comm center. So the exact comm center that I started in, you know, 25 years later, I ended up going back up to, to be the administrator for, I ran uh, communications and uh, I had the records section, our, our public records, uh, you know, what was your rank when you left Andrew Lieutenant. So That's cool. I had communications and I had public records. I mean, it was, you know, we're about a 3,500 man department. So I had, uh, I would estimate 200 civilians in the, in my command, like, and, you know, for all of the haters out there that think that, uh, running civilians would be a lot easier than running cops. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's very nuanced. You, uh, you know, the, the cops won't tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> the civilians will, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So you got to be on your P's and Q's and, and you got to, it, it's a test in leadership. And, uh, I, I'm confident I passed it. Um, I don't think my leadership is confident I passed it, but whatever. So here we are. So 25 years later, I went back up there to run the comp center and, and, uh, I, I eventually retired. I, I moved, I was moved back out onto the street. Uh, I spent another year and a half or so before I ended up retiring because, uh, you know, there were just, you know, the state of the profession, 
And I, I just, uh, I was ready to go. And I left uh, to kind of embark on a social media career where I can say whatever I want, whenever I want. And that's, that's one of the main drivers of why I left. I mean, I was just incomplete because I, I think that we're stifled in the profession and certainly stifled at certain uh, agencies as well. Why do you think your command didn't think you did a good job as a leader? I think, uh, listen, without getting too personal or opening up too many wounds, I, I do, I, I see the difference in leading by ego and just leading. And I think that in, in law enforcement in general, in the profession in general, uh, creatives tend to get canceled. Uh, sometimes very knowledgeable people or um, uh, like smart people tend to get canceled because they're a threat or they're seen or they're perceived as a threat. So it doesn't matter what their intentions are. It doesn't matter if they, if they, if their whole intention to change, you know, things just for the better or out of the protection of the agency, it's uh, it's, it's the constant backstabbing. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be right at the top. It could be, be between you and the top. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, as, as a commander or like a, a chief, chief deputy, sheriff, whatever, you're getting a 10 second snapshot of, of somebody's work product. You're not going to spend two or three days evaluating what they are actually doing. And you're just going to take your, your strongest advisor's word for it and act on that. And I think that that's a fatal flaw in our profession. I, I think that people don't understand that there is a huge difference between being a yes man and not always being a no man. And, and I, and, and I said no a lot because I was, it was out of the protection of the people that work in the communication section. It was actually out of the protection of the agency itself. Um, like, Hey, I, I think you really need to rethink what you're doing here because this is a, this is, this is not a good look for us. And that that's only going to carry you so far. They just want to hear yes, 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 yes. And then they'll get rid of you and they'll put somebody else in your place who says, yes, 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 yes. You've been traveling this country for quite a few years now. And people think that problems like this are unique to where they work, but I got to tell you, it's the same story in every part of the country and every place. And once in a blue moon, I get just a breath of fresh air of somebody actually doing it the right way and running an organization correctly. They're few and far between. I'm not saying even street cop training has its flaws, but our intent here as a staff is always good. We always have really good intent. So no matter what kind of calls we make, whether it be good or bad, we always have good intention. And we put a lot of thought into things before we do them as well. And I've said this for years. Maybe I'll even broaden it a little bit to be more of a macro statement. If you have a brain and uncommon sense, which is we had common sense is something that's a little bit of a silly thing. It's uncommon sense. Yeah. Uh, which means you could actually improve and figure things out and have solutions. Working for those who don't have that is probably one of the most frustrating things you'll ever experience in your life. And even worse than that is working for those who don't even want to hear about it and shut that shit down. So when you said I have a roller coaster of a career, I, I try to think about who doesn't have a roller coaster of a career. You know what I mean? Like, and I know who those guys are, and they're exactly who you think they are. The, you know, on the knees, you got it. That the, look, look, I get it. You've got to appease your bosses in some sense. Yes, you do. But you, I mean, dude, I remember I had a, uh, I think he was a sergeant at the time. I got in trouble. And I had to go to some bullshit class or something like that, right? To like get training. And um, when I came back, he's like, you got to write a letter saying what you thought of the class. And I'm like, that's not part of the agreement. So I'm not doing that. He's like, no, no, you, you tell them on that paper that it was good and blah, blah, blah. I go, that's not, they're looking for an acknowledgement that I went. Uh, they didn't even sign a paper that I went. I did go. So I just had to sign like, I just, you know, went to this class at this time at this place and did not leave. Now, that was true, right? And he's like, no, no, no. They want to see this. And I'm like, Dude, you've got to stop. Like, you are such a company man. It is so ridiculous. They don't give a fuck that of oh, my review of the class. They needed to check a box. I needed to check a box because it was all <laughs> some bullshit stuff. Yeah. So it was just, it was a dumb solution to a stupid problem that, you know, I have to accept. 
I guess whatever the fuck I got dealt on that shit. So, <clears throat> but I'm saying like, who doesn't have a roller coaster? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think I, about that. I, I agree that exactly what you're talking about though, that passion for like, um, you know, when, when you, when you had that conversation with yourself, when you walk away from that, that dumb conversation that you just had, you're like, either I'm going to run the world and fucking change what just happened or I'm going to go elsewhere and give them my talents so I can change what just happened. And, you know, I, I think in my generation of law enforcement, we, we were definitely programmed to think there, there is no other job than, you know, what you, you've already invested this much into it and you're going to have to stick around for 30 years. And, you know, and I, I think a lot of us bought into it. And then I had a near career ending, um, like situation. I, I got into trouble. It involved alcohol right in the middle of it. Like I just made super, you know, I just made corporal and I was fucking setting the world on fire. And then there were a lot of personal things that were going on. My ex-wife's mom was dying of cancer and I was put on the midnight shift. I hadn't been on the midnight shift in, you know, X amount of years and I, I wasn't getting any sleep. And yeah, I, I drove home one night. I pulled into a parking lot and I fell asleep behind the wheel. I had a little bit too much to drink. And of course, who, who knocks on my door, but the, the rookie, you know, deputy from the same, from the same agency and all hell broke loose from there. So I lost that promotion. I, I had worked fucking night and day. I worked, uh, I, I kept my pager on, on my boxer shorts when I was in narcotics, like walking around my house. I, I, you know, uh, I, I kept my next tell this is how, you know, I'm dating myself. I kept my next tell on 24 seven on that nightstand, ready to go. And, um, I worked hard to get that promotion and I lost it in an instant. It was over alcohol and I fixed that. So I spent, you know, five, six, seven years in the penalty box, so to speak. And I started making my way back up and little by little, I just, uh, climbed that ladder again. And I ended up way ahead of where I was, uh, originally. And, and I'll tell you right now, if, uh, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to hurt the people I hurt when I was uh, heavy into drinking. I've been sober for 14 years and we're coming up on 15 years at the end of the month, by the way. So um, I, I would, I certainly want to, wouldn't want to hurt the the people I hurt, but there, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. One of which is, you know, is compartment compartmentalizing or bad habits or burying pain. And, and I was able to um, get into a training situation, like, because I was demoted, I was now a deputy and, and on my path back up, I was put in the training division where I got to, you know, meet with 30 recruits at a time and, and, and like deprogram them from this thought that, you know, there's only one career and there's only one life and you're going to be just fine in this agency. No, you gotta, you gotta cover your ass and you gotta follow the rules and you gotta do this and that. So I genuinely believe that I would not do a thing to change that because it opened my eyes, getting back to your point, to the fact that I'm, I'm marketable anywhere I can do, you know, this job gave me a great foundation, but it's fucking me. You know, I don't, I didn't identify as a, as the cop, or I didn't identify as the deputy or the corporal that got demoted or whatever. I've always been me, Andrew Baxter, who just happens to, you know, have been evolved into Drew Breezy, but you know, I'm fucking me. And, and that's, that's not going to change. That's locked into place. I remember, obviously I think everybody goes through those moments where, you know, you're just involved in hot and heavy IAs. You know, I mean, I, I can't go into too many details of it because believe me, a lot of it was motivated to, to get back at me, calm me down, shit like that. Right. Sure. And I'm not saying everything that I ever did in my life. I don't have to accept responsibility of my own actions. Yes, certainly not not pawning that off. I will I will uh, acknowledge those things. But I remember going through the jackpot for the first time I was in the jackpot. And, you know, I learned pretty early on that your best bet is to get an attorney as fast as possible. Yes. So, I mean, I try to give that advice to a lot of people. I have a guy right now. I was literally talking to him this morning and. It's actually a known thing. He didn't do anything wrong, but. It's not a not known thing. And I said to him, dude, I know it's going to pain you to fork out the money to go retain counsel because your protection plan is going to be garbage. They're not going to give you fucking anything. You're going to get like this guy off a list. And typically like, you know, once in a blue moon, you get a decent one, but typically it's yeah. going to be just some fucking huckster 
who's not going to know what the hell they're talking about. You need to go get yourself a real attorney because cheap is expensive in this game and you can always pay this off, but you'll at least still have a job. And he said, you know, I don't, I never thought I'd be in a situation like this. I thought these people had my back. So well, clearly, you know, now, but for those who have been in the jackpot or in the jackpot now, you know, I've, him and I both have a lot of time in this industry. I remember something that I'll never forget. My attorney said, and he said to me, I just had a internal with a guy's lieutenant of internal affairs who I represented like 15 years ago. And at that time he was looking at termination. So we were laughing about the fact that he's now the lieutenant of internal affairs and they <laughs> wanted him gone 15 years ago. Right. And you know, it was, it was a political hit job, you know, just, just somebody didn't like him and they went after him hard. And so he said, I tell that to you because I think you're still going to have a great career. And, you know, clearly you piss some people off here pretty goddamn good. We'll get you through this and, you know, try to shoot for the best outcome. And, you know, I mean, same thing. When you say five or six years, you had the, the cloud over your head. Somebody said something right after that. They go, you'll be in the hot seat just until somebody else in the hot seat. You're just one <laughs> co-worker true. away doing something fucking completely stupid. And all eyes are off you and now on that person. And, you know, I don't want anybody ever getting in trouble, but I have no idea why police officers are their own worst enemies at times. If you really think of some of the stories, you're like, how do, how do we end up with some of these stories? I mean, some of them are just, and it's all off duty. It's never like on duty, right? It's just all off duty. Like, how do we end up with some of these crazy ass stories? I try to understand the psychology of, of this profession. And, you know, now I'm 40, almost 42 years old. You're 73 or something like that. Right, Drew? 71. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, um, he's 55, guys. And we're just going around. Um, you know, like, you like just so much more wisdom and just like, God damn, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think I'm like, what a crazy. Like, you know, how does, what's the psychology behind some of the stories that come out of this stuff and how people get themselves jammed up? It's pretty wild. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I'm telling you, like, I don't use this as a buzzword like it's being used today, but I'm going to use it as a buzzword. I mean, a lot of this shit is trauma based. I'm just saying that, you know, we see things or listen to things or witness things that the human brain is not right. supposed to process. So, you know, we use dark humor to get it out or we use uh, <laughs> we use alcohol or or, or infidelity yeah. or gambling to get it to keep it down. So. Um, you know, shit spirals, spirals out of control pretty quickly, especially when you think you're invincible, you know what I mean? So you have a couple drinks and then you're like, yeah, I mean, if I get pulled over, I'll be fine. Uh, you, you don't think about the, the, you know, the, the minivan that you run into and wipe out an entire family. You think about, yeah. you know, being pulled over and, and quote being fine. Like you'll be taken care of. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell something to the general public that, taken care of is not a thing anymore. I mean, every, the, 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 number one, there's body cameras everywhere and it's, and, and it, it was never excusable to begin with, but number one, there's body cameras everywhere. And number two, like it, it just, it doesn't happen that way. It, it's just, there's too many eyes and too many ears and, and the generations are being brought up a little bit differently. Uh, and again, a lot of people aren't considering this a career. They're considering it a job. So, um, you know, I'm not making any excuses for anybody, but I, I, I can say that, you know, you go out, you have a few drinks and then uh, next thing you know, you're, you're, you're in forgotten land. Like you're not worried about the trauma anymore because you're not feeling any pain. And then uh, you find yourself arguing with uh, somebody over a parking space and a little pushing and shoving match <laughs> ensues and you forget you're a cop. And then, then you realize when you have handcuffs on you, fuck. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, now I remember I'm a cop. I shouldn't be here or the next day when the regret, you know what I mean? I just think about the regret that people have because I, I really am not quick to judge. Some guy sent me something on Instagram today. It's about like some kid at some kind of drag show with a loudspeaker and like the cops come over, like tell him to turn it off. He's like reading Bible scriptures. Yes. Yeah, so. And you know, yeah. So the guy says, Oh, what do you think of this? And I said, how could I cast judgment? All I know is there's, I, I saw a 25, what was a minute and 10 second yeah. video. Yeah. So how many times has he warned before? What was he told about what he's saying versus what the cops are doing? I don't know. Let's hear their stuff. There's probably a whole other side of the story. So to have judgment on, each, on either end. And he wrote to me, he goes, well, it looks like it's religious per persecution to me. And I mm -hmm. actually said to him, 
I completely disagree with that statement. That is yeah. not what it is. There's not a cop in the country who's looking to persecute somebody over their religious beliefs. Trust me, there's not one. This is not like the UAE where there's actually strict Islamic rules. Yeah, right? Metallin, I, walking around, yeah. Bro, I, like, if you actually read, if you go to like a country that is on Islamic law, there's some real, you have to get a, uh, if you go to UAE, you've got to get a permit to drink. You can't just go to a bar and drink. You have to get a, I was reading this stuff the other day. Uh, if you if you want to stay, I, there's rules on it. I think they, they eased up on one, but there was a video of, remember like a British woman holding like a phone camera in front, like at the UAE cops, like you know the Emirates cops. Ooh. And they put her in prison for a year, dude. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. We were in Greece in, in May, at the end of May, early June. And I was with a lot of people from here. I was with a lot of Americans. And you don't smell weed in Greece. So somebody had brought that up in the group that I'm with. We had like 65 people with us. Like, hey, you don't smell any weed here. I'm like, it's because if you get caught, you're doing four months in jail. They're like, that's fucking crazy. I'm like, this is a different country. Do you understand that? This is a different, they're not playing that shit here. They're just not. You can't even, I mean, the gun laws in Europe are so strict. You think we have strict gun laws in New Jersey? Forget it. There, you've got to get a permit. You can only ca- you can only have a gun essentially if you live on a farm, and it can carry three rounds maximum. So you can have like a shotgun, no rifles allowed, completely illegal. A shotgun, three round max limitation, no handguns, no nothing. And dude, so- the Europeans hate guns. By the way, like all of them. Like all I, I was asked by the Greeks and Italians that I met is like aren't you guys nervous with like the guns in the United States? The gun violence is crazy. I'm like, you guys are just being portrayed. Like we're this, it's just this constant battle. Like we're in a, in a cold war over here. Yeah, Dude, I carry a gun every day of my life. I have a substantial amount of guns. I like telling these guys like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, you're not nervous. I'm like, no. And they're like, what's the solution? I'm like, there's 55 million registered gun owners in the United States of America. There is no solution because we can't eradicate guns. It's impossible. But We're instead, start- we'll do magazine. We'll do magazine restrictions like that, because yeah. that's made a big difference in our crime. Start, how about you start prosecuting the the repeat offenders, or how about you not let them out on no bond, or you know what I mean? Wow. Like, there's no. It's, it's like it's it's you know. Listen, I'm not going to go down that road, but some of these people are just out of their goddamn. Mind. They make no sense. I don't even know who they're pandering to if they're pandering to people. I have no clue how we have zero common sense. But I will say this: looks like the NYPD starting to fucking. Do a little work again. I don't even catch the videos. They they seem to be oh, not yeah. playing too many fucking games anymore. I, I'm and I'm proud to see it. I mean, like, stand up, like, take the profession back. And by the way, I mean, you know, you don't have to have uh, stripes or bars or or anything to take the profession back. If you're an informal leader within your group, be a fucking informal leader within your group. And if you know, if you see the profession circling the drain, don't watch it circle the drain. If you want to stick around say something do something i mean like make a difference get educated you know know your limits and and have these little conversations with the young people or the new people it's your responsibility to kind of pass this shit on so i mean like you know i i i believe i firmly believe that you know when when covid hit which is a whole different ball game and and you know i was affected in a few different ways in this but you know that was george floyd era right so we were back to being racist again. And, and um, so when we couldn't do any kind of enforcement or whatever, they had no way to vilify us. So the, the, the ingenious way of vilifying us is saying, okay, cops, what we want you to do now is go in and enforce mask rules or go in and enforce, like there's more than four people sitting in this library or on the beach or whatever. And, And, to the point that you just made about the guy in Wisconsin with the megaphone preaching the Bible, you know, the cop is vilified in this situation. Somebody actually out there with common sense that, you know, says, well, we, we addressed common sense a minute ago, but somebody that, you know, said, this looks like religious persecution. No, this is a cop that was told to do that. Do you think that that, that, you know, the cop is having an internal struggle as it is, and this is all all going into the deterioration of the profession. This is these are the struggles that a cop has. It's not just, you know, the blood and guts or the the people screaming because you're taking their mom and dad to jail or whatever. It's all this like scrutiny that we're we're receiving for doing a fucking job, for raising our hands and volunteering to say, hey, if the bullets start flying, I'm actually going to run towards the source of the bullets. You just duck down. 
and and I, I get why people left in an exodus. I, I understand that. And and I just wonder how much of it is programmed, how much it is if it is to disrupt law enforcement to to get us to <laughs> break up the system, so to speak. Whatever the biggest thing that's running everything is, the media is their resource to oh, shift yeah. it and sway it any way they want. Absolutely. And when you understand that, I'm not going down these conspiracy theory rules, but yeah, do you okay. think that there's not somebody like playing with the dials behind the scenes? You're out of your fucking mind. You're right. And I'm sure it's more than one person. It's a huge, huge conglomerate of people and people that you in a million years could never get to or you wouldn't even know who they are. Right. Um, and, and if you get close enough to shit like that, it looks like they eliminate motherfuckers pretty quickly. So that's why I'm like, man, I'm good. Right. I'll just make sure that my men and women here in in, in the blue just acknowledge that. The media is employed to shift and sway the thoughts of mindless Americans. And they listen because they're idiots. And they listen. Yes. So yeah, don't be caught do. up in the rhetoric of like not being an independent thinker. My suggestion is, is to put your own thoughts on things. You don't have to be a psychopath, but non-judgment's important. So anytime I'd see somebody get in trouble, you know, I would say to them like, hey, man, uh, I, I can't talk to you about what happened. Obviously, it's against the rules. but you know, look, man, everybody makes mistakes. Could have been anybody, right? People just, I, I know somebody who's in a little bit of a jam personally right now. And the fact that this person is just being vilified by everybody in his family, it frustrates me. And I said to him, I'm like, I think it's ridiculous that people just don't have compassion and just go right to judgment. I don't think what you did was that outlandish. Um, and compassion and non-judgment is probably one of the most powerful tools you can possesses a human being and it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of mind shifting to see things that way i mean i try to see literally everything why did that happen why is that person doing that why does that person look like that why does this happen why did that guy do that who's kicking their butt behind the scenes you know all people want to do is be seen validated and heard but but brother this is exactly what i'm talking about this is why i wouldn't change anything that that uh, happened to me. Well, like, you know, I say happened to me that I caused in my career because it, it humbled me that th this job, as you know, will humiliate you exactly when you need to be humiliated. Something or some, someone will come along and humili humiliate you. And that's exactly what happened. And it, it brought me back to a place of compassion. Like, listen, it, it's, you can just, you got a loud mouth kid at a, at a, at a uh, college party who's just running his mouth and he smells like weed. Yeah. You can throw him in jail for um, disorderly conduct or, or disorderly intoxication. You can, you can search his pockets and find that weed and all that other stuff just because he pissed you off. What you're not realizing though, or maybe you are, is that that affects him. It affects his family. It affects his future. It affects. So, you know, the kids being 18, like you were never 18 yourself and he's running his fucking mouth. He could be embarrassed in another way, I'm sure. But, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. So, you you know, you stroke out this. Uh, we used to write them anyway. This uh, criminal report affidavit to put this kid in jail. And now he can never, you know, apply to be that officer that might change somebody's life later on. Um, and, and, you know, I do get that people need to take responsibility for their own stuff. But there there are reasons behind what people did, just like I tried to say, I, I'm not pleading with anybody for sympathy, but there was cancer going on. There was a there was a divorce pending. There was no sleep going on, and there was heavy drinking, based on trauma shit that I was processing for years and years and years. So there was a reason why I was out drinking and driving. It, it wasn't just because like uh, let me let me play the lottery today and see if I you know can hurt myself or somebody else. So all of that went into being able to reevaluate like before you put handcuffs on somebody just take a deep breath for a second and make sure do, is this the proper course of action i mean did they really steal this because you know they just wanted to be a menace to society and they need to go to jail or did they steal it to feed their family i mean it's that the old ethical you know debate of the the mother stealing a loaf of bread at the walmart or whatever you know it, it just, it does things like that should open your eyes and bring you to a sense of compassion and understand this job is not an us versus them. If, if I could, you know, explain that to every Academy class, uh, I, I attempted to, but this is, this will never be an us versus them and the job will make it 
so that you're tricked into believing that it's us versus them. And it's not. It, it, every single case that you're about to deal with is is completely different, every incident. So if you just understand and you have the compassion and you're able to communicate effectively with people and you know, sometimes they're going to tell you that they committed the crime and why they committed the crime. And then, yeah, you take them to jail, but it's also going to be a quality report. It's going to be better testimony in court. It's all about compassion. It's it's about a connection, a human connection. We're not out, you know, we should never let our authority overshadow our service. That's, that's what it boils down to. We are servants and we need to serve. You can't let your authority overshadow that or your ego for that matter. Hey guys, follow us on all social media platforms to include Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. We have so much information going on every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff. So check it out. Go give us a follow. You want to know why I practice non-judgment? My number one factor of why? Want to take a guess? Go for it. Because you've been judged, probably. Because I don't want to be judged. You know what I mean? Like, we're all human beings, and we're all going to make mistakes. And, you know, there have been some significant moments uh, in the past. I've had very difficult uh, past two and a half years of my life, and very, very difficult. And, you know, I mean, there's just some stuff I can't share publicly. I, people know. I don't think it's there's some things that people know, some people don't. I mean, I have more stuff going on in my life right now. You know, essentially, I leave here and f- five to eight times a week um, watch uh, a family member dying. Uh, and that's uh, it's just the, the visits are that common now that I have to go every day. Um, unfortunately, there's a couple of days I can't go this week, but you know, and uh, it's a if you're paying attention to the podcast, you probably know who it is. But, uh, you know, watching that now, that's just on top of everything else that I've got going on. So there might be times that I misbehave, but I really, really try to employ and practice, um, you know, non-judgment. And and I feel like the more I don't judge, the less I am judged. The more you're going to learn as well. I mean, that's this is where you develop the wisdom from. I mean, you just if you if you let your guard down to the point where you're still self-protective, but you're able to take in um, knowledge from somebody, uh, it, it makes it that much easier the next time when you run across a scenario that's similar and, and you can choose to edit this out or not. Uh, I, I t- listen, there's a, there's a joke within my family that like, whenever I, I don't, I live here in Florida. My family lives in Western New York. That's where I was born and raised and anything significant that ever happened in my life, like big things, um, somebody would get sick back home and I'd either have to cancel or, or whatever. So I, I'm not telling you this story to one up you, I promise. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> um, I, I was uh, getting ready to do this podcast. The first time you were stuck in Puerto Rico. Yes. And uh, I, I learned that my mom was going to be on hospice the previous Thursday. And I was like, here we go. This is, this is it. Like, I didn't know that we were going to have to postpone, but I was like, fuck, here we go. Like, this is, this is the big event in my life because I can, you know, I'm not trying to kiss your ass, but this is a big deal to me. Like street cop training. Oh, thanks, is a man. Big I appreciate it, dude. Thank you, man. I don't, this is, I don't feel that way at all about myself uh, or this thing. You should. Uh, I, well, thank you. I just, I think I just, I'm overburdened with humility. It may not appear that way because I teach with emotion and passion, but I, I just don't think I'm anybody fucking fancy at all. And for the guys who saw me Saturday night uh, at the East Bar at DJ's, thank you for uh, not filming me this time around. Appreciate that. I didn't want to be on your Snapchat. I was just trying to like let loose and try to like enjoy myself a little bit. No, no judgment. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your mother. Continue on. So, so, you know, Frankie, thank God sent me the, the, the message that said that you're stranded in Puerto Rico and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not trying to put your business out on the streets, but. Uh, no, no, I was trying to, I had I to go like, there for a business meeting. Oh, okay. And I, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I was like, this is actually kind of a godsend. You know, I didn't. So I, you know, I'm holding my cards close to my chest. So sure enough, the date rolls around that we were supposed to do the podcast and my mother died. Oh, I'm so sorry, dude. I, I, it's okay. I listen, I I'm, I'm completely at peace with it. So the day that I was supposed to do the podcast with you originally is the day my mother died. So it is, but I, but, but I get it. Like we're all, we all go through it. Um, you know, uh, and, and the thing is like, this is why I say, I'm not trying to one up you. I, I said my goodbyes to her over a year ago. She was at the point where we were having the same conversation within the conversation we were having. I mean, she just, 
she had no memory. She, she roamed the plains for 92 years. I mean, she had a oh, good wow, life. Yeah. So, but her memory was like zero. It was at zero. She, she would remembered her little baby boy and that's about it. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a, uh, man, this is hard to say. It's, it's, it was kind of a blessing that she's up there with my father now and, and all that, but you know, I'm, I'm just saying we all go through it. Um, uh, and it, it doesn't make it any easier and there was no preparing for it. And in fact, one of the biggest days of my, uh, of my retired career was uh, what it was supposed to be was actually something completely different. It was the day I learned my mother died, you know? So, uh, these things have a way of making you humble or, or just making you realize. So you're right on point with, you know, throw away the judgments. If you, if you just kind of live your life kind of clean and just listen to what somebody has to say, I don't give a shit if they're Democrat, Republican, because that's what we've come to uh, liberal left or right or whatever. Just everybody's got something to say and everybody's got a story. Just hear them out. They, you don't have to fucking sway the world into your opinion. You know, I also think that this kind of led my brain into saying of how I really have learned to not expect anything from anybody. I mean, at this point now, I get promised so many things. Um, it's a very interesting time. It's been interesting for a while, but even right now, it's it's interesting. And so, you know, I'm like, eh, if it happens, that's great. If it doesn't, then so be it. That's a real nice way to live because... I don't live that way. I'm a man of my word. And I always tell people, you know, you could find people that don't like me, which is fine. I have no interest in trying to appease yeah. the entire world. I'll live. However, you will never find somebody that tells you I'm a piece of shit. Like, because <clears throat> of the actions that I did. Like, I'm not, nobody but, is ever going to say like, nah, he was a rat fuck. Like he stepped on people's backs. He stabbed people in the back. He kicked people while they were down. You know, man, there's so many opportunities now for us to misbehave. And I just try to remind everybody, like, that's just not the way we're going to win. It's not no, for it's us. Not. And, and, and you know, we want to default to that as human beings of like, fuck that guy. I'm like, hey, guys, just <laughs> let just let it be, man. Like, it's it's all good. Like, I there's obviously a lot of pain behind things like that. I don't know why that person's acting that way. It's a, it's a, life is just a very interesting ride. And, you know, people just have to understand you're going to have to roll with the punches. And there's no giving up, rolling over and dying. You just keep moving forward. And sometimes it's very thick brush and sometimes it's clear open fields and you're breathing. You could yeah, smell I, the ocean air coming off. Like it's just that that's how life is. Listen, I, I say that about loyalty. Lo loyalty is a, is an eight lane super highway that runs north, but it's a fucking overgrown footpath that runs south. And, and, you know, we're pretty short on uh, machetes. Like it's, it, that's so to your point, if you wash away expectations of anybody, if you have no expectations, period, like I had no expectation of, of this, you know, coming to fruition today. Um, just based on the fact that anything could happen, like you, you could be called to be, whatever. If you have no expectations, it's very hard to be disappointed in life. And, and you do with age and, it, you know, when your EQ develops, you, you do realize that it, it, there are people that hate you, but who gives a fuck? Like, wh why am I, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent is that famous Eleanor Roosevelt quote. I saw it you know, walking on Tampa walk one day and it stuck with me. Like, why, why am I going to give away my um, happiness or anger? And, and I'm not telling you, like, I live this perfect life and, and uh, I, I don't dwell on shit. I, I mean, I do that all the time. I, I get into war in the comments section of a stupid Instagram post because I just, I don't know. I just want to exercise my, uh, my free speech or I want to exercise my point of view, but um Washing away expectations, living judgment free, it's all going to sustain life. It's, it's, a, it's all going to make you live longer. It's just going to make you feel better. You sleep deeper. Um, I, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, just, just you know, live, live your life and whatever anyone else thinks of you, uh, I mean, they can kind of go fuck themselves. In this, again, we come back to like how and why I retired. This to me was my ultimate goal. Like, 
listen, if you, if I'm, if I'm not the fit here or you don't see it because of whatever your reasons are, I can go set the world on fire somewhere else. I'm not, I'm not tied to you. Like I don't, you, you, they, some of those people are in the positions they're in because of good timing. That's it. That's the only difference between me and them. Our abilities are the same. Our intelligence levels are the same, the whole nine yards, but they had great timing and, and they know who to say yes to and who to say no to. And I didn't, uh, that doesn't mean I can't go, you know, carry this knowledge somewhere else. And I, and I'm not going to sit with a head full of, uh, criminal justice or law enforcement knowledge and just let it rot in my brain while I, you know, sit and eat bonbons on the couch in retirement. Like I'm going to share it. Uh, I think, you know, it was given to me and it's, it's nothing for me to hold on to. I think I need to pour it back out into the world. There was a Instagram post that I put up on Saturday because a guy had reached out to me and said his chief had denied training because our instructors here look too intimidating. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know how you would like us to look as law enforcement instructors, but um, I, I don't fluffy, maybe like Barney like. I don't know what they what this chief expects. And, you know, a lot of people were writing and commenting on that about how bad their agency is. And if you look at my comments back, I just wrote, leave, leave, yeah. <laughs> Go. leave. In a time when you have options, the f I, I, I find it just so amazing that the fear of the unknown is the thing that's crippling people to remain unhappy. It's wild to me. And although I am this police trainer and building this company and uh, a father and all these other things that I am, I think one thing that I am the most is trying to understand human psychology. I mean, yeah. why have a good career when you could have a great career? Uh, uh, my friend came up, my wife's friend came over on Saturday and she said, um, I work at this school district. I didn't know what she did for a living. I know her a few years now. Nice girl, um, you know, my age. And she goes, oh, but I'm going to take a job like 10 minutes from here. But there's a little bit of pay cut. And I said, Lisa, I am so about pay cuts for the yeah. quality of life improvement. She goes, well, I won't have to travel. I go an hour and a half each way where I go now. So it's only 10 minutes and I go, oh my God, like it's a dream. Like who, who cares? Like the pay cut in your field can't be that substantial where right. you're going to have to sell your house. I mean, you aren't going from making 1.6 million to 4.3 million or vice versa. <laughs> right. You're talking about, so for me, the variable of not wanting to endure the pain, the short-term pain of change to achieve greatness is flabbergasting. And I cannot figure out why people have such a problem with this. And I don't know where we were failed in society. One, certainly the school districts, no question about it. And I, she's a counselor. So I said, and I was actually pleased to hear that she wasn't giving advice to people to go to college unless they had like 100% scholarships. I'm like, this is so super smart. And I said, but the advice that you give these kids is just your perspective. Think about the disservice you're doing to them because of what you believe is successful. And I said, right. take, take the town, two towns away from us. Very, very um, exclusive. I mean, I live in a nice town. This is an exclusive town. I'm talking like big money, dude, $15, 20000000 million homes. It's huge money. And I said, I promise you there's not a kid there from that high school who's graduating saying, I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to be a plumber. I'm going to be an electrician. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. You're telling those kids that because that's the perspective of like where there's a good job. My son this morning, my hand to God comes out to me and he said, dad, like what's he's seven. What's like a job that like pays the most. And I went, what do you mean? He's like, what job pays the most? I go, there's a lot. He goes, well, like what's one. I go digital marketing. And he's like, what is digital marketing? I'm like, well, you got to figure that out, man. But like that pays a lot. I've 50 friends that are digital marketers and they're all millionaires. So like digital marketing's one, but they don't tell you, like you don't sit in high school and they're like, Hey, no. you're from a lower middle-class family. Like, do you ever fuck around like digital marketing and like how to hack da -da 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 -da. So my advice to people is like, if you have kids, like don't, I would never dare tell my son being a lawyer, being a doctor is going to equal success. It is not true. Most lawyers make less than probably most cops. No bullshit. Right. Like maybe not in Florida, but here. Right. Yeah. Selling contracts, 150,000, 108,000 a year for patrolmen. Right. So you got lawyers who make most lawyers probably make 100 grand a year. That's real. So I don't know why people correlate this eight years of school, seven years of school to I'm going to be rich. No, no, no. They're just the best in the industry, just like any industry. They're the best.
So anyway, to come full circle, I guess what I'm saying is I hate to go on these ADHD rants. <laughs> Why are people not willing to endure the pain to achieve the greatness? And it's beyond and these guys and these guys and these girls will go back to the same shitty agency that they fucking can't stand for the next 20 years. You you can't put a price on happiness. No. You you can't put a price on stable mental health. Like it's, you know, again, we, we get it's a buzzword in the industry now because uh, administrators get to say, well, we're doing something about the mental health when all they're doing is throwing around a buzzword. They're not really doing anything about it. No, but they don't do anything. Well, let me just stop you. Let me just jump in real quick and you continue. Yeah, Nobody's doing anything about anything. Just so we're clear. Dude, this is what I'm, you're, you're, you're talking to my good ear here without bashing where I worked. I will tell you this. I, I've always come from the foundation of like, Figure out what you're good at and be the best at it, right? So where I worked, they proclaimed when they kind of changed leadership, our two best things are leadership development and mental health. Well, let me tell you, I left a couple hundred grand on the table in the drop program, in the deferred retirement option program, because I had to get the fuck out of there. Now, a lot of it was environmental because of the state of law enforcement, but the shit that the, the, the reindeer games that went on that the high school cafeteria mentality of some of the people that are in charge of protecting an entire county of 1.6 million people, the bullshit petty fucking games that affect the mental health of the line employee or even the middle manager like me. Um, is astonishing. So the two things that you do best are leadership development and mental health, yet you implore your leaders to play fucking reindeer games. The, 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 those are the two things that you do the worst. So again, to combat that, I just don't need to stick around in that environment. And again, sticking true to my word, you can't put a price on happiness and you can't put a price on, on mental health. If I got a good, clear mind, I can make the drop money that I missed out on. I, I can go do, I can go do whatever I want. The world is my oyster. You know, I can go do whatever I want. Now I understand that I was in a different position than a lot of people, but when you're saying it, when Heather's saying it, when, when the people on your staff are saying it, why are you tied to one place that's making you unhappy? It, it's, you know, like even personally, why are you tied to one partner or marriage that's that's just making you unhappy are you doing it to keep up appearances um you know when are you going to break the cycle and and just understand you're in control of your own destiny once you've turned power over to somebody else to control your destiny you're fucked you're you're, you're destined to do whatever they want you you know they're destined to control your happiness and they're going to pull the levers and they're going to maximize anything that makes them happy. So it's all about independence. Like just it's, it's not an easy jump to grow a set of balls, but you got to do it. Yeah. I mean, watching my family member uh, in the care facility. So uh, I go visit this person. I might as well just say it's my father. And there's a guy in the same room with him in this care facility. And I said to the nurse last week, I said, uh, that guy doesn't wake up so much. Uh, like he's always sleeping when we're there. She goes, I think he's just done with life. I think he's, and the guy's not like, uh, my father's in really bad shape. Um, re really bad. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's very interesting how at this point of his sickness, I see him with a fresh set of eyes as an innocent soul versus and my brother was even came over last night, which we don't see him too often. And he said something about my father to my kids. And I'm like, hey, bro, like that's their grandfather. They don't need to know like what he was like as a fucking father growing up. So just cut yeah. this shit. He doesn't have kids. So he doesn't know. And I'm like, they're too young to be telling him what your father was like versus me. I'm obviously this way because I know what that was like. Yeah, right. That's why, dad, that's why dad's the most fucking fun on earth. I guess the point I was getting to was that whole place are people who never who have no more options. It's just over. And at the end of life, you know, nothing was ever that scary. 
and you don't get to hit a restart button. You just don't. You don't get to sit there and go, okay, God, this is the end for me. Um, Let me do this again. I've learned some real lessons now. And all you can do is look for guidance that speaks to your soul and follow it. And I got to tell you, I think that taking risks, doing things that are uncomfortable are sometimes disappointing, but at the other end of the spectrum, just very rewarding. And I use examples of my life and other people who have written in who said, I I took a leap of faith. It was the best thing I ever did. I can't thank you enough. I heard what you were saying. And I implore people based on the fact of happiness to to take those leaps of faith and trust yourself. You got to trust yourself. You got to know who you are. You got to know not everybody needs to, but if you're that person, you know you you can you can handle it. Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And uh, I can't I can't emphasize that. I just don't want to live in a life of regret. I just don't want to, dude. I don't want to just say, I mean, I wish I had so many talents, so many things I could have offered. I could have made a change. I could have made a difference. And it's fucking painful. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not doing this at this point now. Oh, it's so it's so painful, but it's so worth it. Yeah, this is my, like, you've hit on kind of one of my mantras. Like, obviously, there's some type of glass ceiling. Like, I wasn't going to go any further than what, again, what somebody else decided. So that's exactly what I'm saying. The only way you're going to smash it, the only way you're going to be able to live free and share what you got is out on your own. So fucking go do that. Like, just go be out on your own and share it. What's crazy for me is like, as wild as this sounds, I technically, all my friends for law enforcement are at the retirement age. So we're all early to mid forties. It's coming up a couple of years, couple of years, couple of years. And so these guys are like talking about the retirement. I'm like, guys, like, do you look at us? Like we're young men. I know. Guys, we're like, you could comfortably <laughs> knock out another 25, 30 years of working. So when you talk about like what your retirement plans are, like, dude, you're in better shape now than you were 23 years ago when I met you. You don't have gray hair. I mean, look at me, dude. I feel better now, oddly enough, than I did when I was 19. Yeah. And you guys are talking about like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Like you have another 40 fucking years to live, if not more. <laughs> you might have 55, 60 more years of life. You're telling me for the next 55 or 60 years, you're not going to work like, bro. Like, and like, you think that you already completely no. like, let's, let's get to dude. And I'm telling these guys like, yo, start researching what you want to do next. You get a whole nother shot at being somebody completely different. You get to hang up the fucking belt. You don't got to even stay in this profession. You can go be like an ice cream curator at a fucking, like you could do anything yeah. you want. So you get a whole nother crack with all this wisdom now and go do something, anything else. You can be a landscaper. Um, I mean, you can be a digital marketer. You can be a teacher. Tony Danza is a teacher. People don't even know who Tony Danza is. He's a teacher in Philly. You know that? Who's the boss? Yeah. Tony Danza was a major A-list celebrity for like 40 years in American culture. So Tony Danza is like 80 years, 70-something years old. He just is a high school teacher, dude. That's what he wanted to do. (laughs) He did what he did and went and did something else. A lot of those people do that. You know know how many people we have that are actually cops? that had a previous life before this or work oh, right. now are like a list celebrities, right. Or B list or C list celebrities are doing, you know, whatever, man. It's just, I don't know why people are like thinking that like, this is who I am. This is what I'm limited to. No, nah, man, you're in a fucking great country. You know, so I don't know where let's run this rant and rave. Uh, Drew, why don't you promote some shit before we fucking wrap this motherfucker up? <laughs> All right. Uh, you can catch me on failure to stop. We have a YouTube channel, obviously called failure to stop. And we do live shows, uh, probably five nights a week. There's six different, uh, hosts. Uh, again, I'm involved in two of those. One of them being the comm center, which is an ode to the dispatchers. And then, uh, that's Thursday nights. We do it live at 8 PM. It drops as a podcast, uh, on Saturday mornings. Uh, you can always catch the replay on YouTube. Uh, Fridays, I do Friday breakdowns with Eric Tanzi and, uh, we, uh, we cover all the police related news and, um, that's done live at 11 AM. Um, and that drops as a podcast almost immediately. So, uh, listen, go to Apple podcasts or go to uh, any major podcast platform to include YouTube music. And, uh, you can, you can listen to figure to stop there. Um, I got to tell you this too. I'm not 
I'm not making a dime on this whatsoever. Um, there's a guy named Ricardo Martinez. He's an advocate. He was a 911 professional for years and years and years. He's got his own podcast. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to plug that, but he assembled this book. It's called Imagine Listening. Uh, imagine listening. Your day, your worst day is our every day. And it's a very novel concept. It's just a, a collection of stories, put, you know, text over photos that he's collected over the years from dispatchers who are just trying to get the poison out and they'll write out the story for him. Um, and it is like an eye opener to give to any administrator in a law enforcement agency. It's a good stocking stuffer or whatever, because it really brings home what the dispatchers, particularly the 911 emergency call takers endure. Like, you know, people make this assumption that because they're in the air conditioning, that everything is safe and very little to do. First responder status has very little to do with the acute danger of bullets being shot at you or walking into a burning building. It's the long-term accumulation of trauma. It's the, the, the adrenaline that, that uh, eats away at your heart and your lungs and all these other things and, and all this other stuff. Dispatchers are, dispatcher trauma is the exact same trauma as any other first responder. In my opinion, they should be classified as first responders. I can give you a thousand reasons why I can uh, share my promotional, uh, you know, to be promoted to captain uh, uh, research project I did called mitigating stress and trauma in the civilian sector, uh, where I delve deep into dispatcher trauma and its effects on people. It causes depression. It causes, it causes regular suicides, just like anybody else. It causes, you know, the, the, uh, obesity, depression, all the, all the things, but the difference between 911 dispatchers and cops is pretty simple. Dennis, you and I, we, we show up to a shift and we're supposed to cover four zones. One guy called out sick, one guy's in training. You and I can cover it. We're good. We'll be okay. We're, we're probably both pretty good cops anyway. If you think that's happening in the communication center, it ain't. Somebody's got to sit their butt in the seat that mans the radio. Somebody's got to sit their butt in the seat that mans the 911 position. And the problem is, this accumulation of trauma that, that causes sickness causes them to have a high absentee rate. It causes them to churn, you know, they're, they're always quitting. And what it's doing is it's creating an environment where there's mandatory overtime for people that are already burnt out. And it's, it's, it's causing health issues beyond uh, so w when you, you and I start the conversation with let go of your judgments and just be a humble human and take, uh, take a perspective from somebody else's shoes, these people are disrespected, overlooked and completely, um, underpaid and overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, it'll be my last dying breath that I'll be shouting from the mountaintops about how, uh, how much more we need to pay attention to these people, even from an agency standpoint. If you're if you're an agency head somewhere, and you you think that it's a wise idea to have a maladjusted, uh, from a mental health standpoint, a maladjusted call taker being the first voice that the public hears, whether they're calling non emergency or nine one one. If you think that's a good idea, good on you. Uh, I, it's a horrible idea. One and two. If they're short-tempered and they start having this interaction with the citizen, what do you think that they're going to, how do you think that they're going to be when the cop shows up? You knock on that door and they're already agitated. So does that lead to a use of force? Does that lead to the cop having to talk somebody down? Or, I mean, there's a million reasons I can give as to why they are the way they are. Nobody, you know, not many people tend to listen to them, but um, just from a business standpoint, you've got to think as an agency head, you've got to take care of this, these communications people. They're the first voice. It's going to become more and more prevalent that they're knocking out because of PTSD, because that's become, becoming a workers comp issue. Um, you know, look at it from a business standpoint, however, but just from a humanity standpoint, uh, get into your communication center 
and live a day or two up there. Don't just assume that they're just, ah, they're clerical, they're civilian. Nothing drives me more crazy than hearing, um, you know, that they're, they're civilians or they're clerical. So you mean to tell me that the chief secretary and the 911 operator, they're on par. They have the same stresses. They have the same, because they're getting paid about the same and they're getting about the same retirement and they're, they have access to about the same mental health. You know what I'm saying? It's ludicrous. These are first, first responders and they should be treated as such. That's my opinion. Very well said. And I couldn't agree more. And I couldn't, uh, I mean, you could ask any dispatcher that I've ever worked with. They still to this day have a great bond with them. We had a lot of fun and, uh, you know, always spent a lot of, as a matter of fact, sometimes they were dicks and I wasn't, but that's just how, <laughs> how it goes sometimes. But yeah, I always, uh, very gr- fond relationship with my, with my dispatchers. I enjoyed them tremendously. And, uh, you know, so yeah, you're right. I mean, they just need to be thanked and, and, and appreciated for what they, they do a really nice job. They really do. Yeah. All right. I think the fuck out of here, Drew. Oh man, I appreciate this opportunity. I, I'm looking. Yeah, no, it's great, dude. I, I really want to know more about uh, the university you got coming out. So I want to talk to you about yeah. that at some point. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, I, I'll come I, on your podcast if you want, whatever you want. Oh fucking it! All right, just I, tell Frankie he'll set it up. Okay, good. Hey guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area.